Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Normally being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Welcome to the Football Writers Podcast, featuring me, Mike Calvin, Adrian Clark, the tactical analyst, and Seb Stafford-Bloor of TIFO Football. Well, that didn't take long. Ralph Rangnick has barely unpacked, and we're being told that up to 17 Manchester United players are unhappy with his management. From the outside, at least, it seems to be the modern game writ large. It's me before we. There's no personal accountability, only an urge to shift the blame. One bad defeat and United looked like a team in name only. Now Adrian, you understand how dressing rooms work. Ranick's on a hiding to nothing, isn't he? Oh, it's a very difficult situation that he finds himself in early on, isn't it? There's been a very, very quick regression since since quite a promising first match against Crystal Palace and if it's true that that 17 players are unhappy with his management then oh what does it, it it tells you a lot about about the characters and personalities in that United dressing room personally I think that 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 group of players have had it too easy for too long they've got into some very bad habits along the way and and yeah, they think they're that they're running the ship, but but they don't. The club is bigger than than the individuals, and and Ralph Rangnick is trying, bless him, to imprint what he believes is the right right way, the right tactics, the right style of style of play. Now he might get things wrong, but for players to turn against him straight away it tells me more about the players and their. They have to knuckle down. If they don't like it, they can leave. I get the impression, genuinely, and I, and I mean this, and I don't even mean it disrespectfully, I just get the feeling that a lot of the players at Manchester United aren't big enough to handle the responsibility. Look at the home record, it's dreadful. You need balls, you need a bit of courage to play for Manchester United, to want the ball, to demand it, to go and beat a man, to go and score a goal. And... Half those players, it, it feels to me as if as if they don't really fancy that challenge. They want that easier life. United would be better off without them. That's my view. Is is this an object lesson in the perils of individualism, Seb? You know, in in, in retrospect, awarding Cristiano Ronaldo the arch individualist the captaincy, okay, maybe only on a temporary basis. Is that a self-defeating gesture since it just basically pandered to his ego, didn't it? 
Certainly a funny decision, Mike. I think the lesson is that um, the perils of individualism, yes, but when you mix it with someone like Ralph Ranick, because he's no shrinking violet, and throughout his career as successful and as influential as, as he has been, he's always fallen out with people. And there's a reason why, if you look back at his recruiting patterns in the past, he's always favoured younger players under 23s, you know, pliable sorts, characters who can be moulded. And to me, I... Rannick is, uh, you know, one of the, the great underappreciated architects of modern football. Yeah, you could kind of see this coming, couldn't you? Joining him with them, uh, a culture where, if you look at Man United's patterns of play under Solskjaer, a lot of the success, in inverted commas, they had was through being able to kind of spring a few combinations out of nowhere, you know, from within performances which weren't particularly impressive. So, yeah, it's just, it's a it's a very predictable culture clash. And I don't know, it's, it's a... <sighs> I mean, I disagree with Aid slightly in the sense that I think some of them, I don't think the responsibility of it even occurs to some of these players. I think it's been a, I think Old Trafford has become a soft place to earn a lot of money, unfortunately. I also think that the debate about, around Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was you know, very beneficial to a couple of these players because it meant that there was no other topic of conversation. Everything was about the head coach. Everything was about Solskjaer's qualifications. And hey, we, we've done it enough times. And there was a good reason for that. But at the same time, when that gets removed and the problems, I don't know whether they've got worse or they've just continued. Certainly there's been no improvement. All of a sudden, the fingers start pointing and you see, you know, you see some of the kind of, I don't want to be challenged about it, but it's a bit of a tantrum, isn't it? Yeah, but would this group of players be having a tantrum if Ralph Ranić was the permanent manager? I think the answer is is no. I think the problem lies within Manchester United's bizarre decision to effectively write off this season by appointing an interim to replace the caretaker because the players ultimately don't believe that they're looking to impress Ralph Ranić. Isn't that the nature of the professional footballer? It's that, well, one, it's what have you done for me lately? But secondly, yeah. is it, well, you know, if we don't like this guy and we probably don't and he doesn't, he might not like me, well, we'll just ride it out for six months. Yeah, exactly. And that's all they've got until the new guy, whoever that is, comes in and they think they'll see off Ralph Ranić, I would imagine, the majority of, of, of the players there. So, yeah, it's... Um, it's not ideal. I think that Manchester United would have been better served if if their ambition was, was to compete better this season. They would have been better off appointing somebody on a permanent basis because it it, it is a period of limbo. And, and when I have been in dressing rooms where you've been in limbo under a caretaker for quite a prolonged spell and it, it's a very weird place to be. And, and look, on recruitment... <laughs> I know that he's he's tied in with this consultancy over a longer period, but is he going to be he's is he going to be signing players this month for the next manager? It's it's a very strange situation. Hey, one thing because I, I I agree with you that generally I just to me I I think we all know the kind of the the substitute teacher scenario that occurs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like you yeah. have a better perspective on it yeah, than, yeah. than we do, but yeah. at yeah. the same time <clears throat> they've just come out of a situation these players where. A head coach has been, if anything, too permanent, has been shown too much faith, has been allowed a little bit too much latitude. And nothing was any healthier there. Like, you know, you, you kind of, there was a sort of a, a human shield in the way of criticism because we, we talked about everything sort of was directed at Oli Solskjaer. 
But very clearly, there were players briefing in the background about what the culture was like on the training ground and who was responsible for what. And so they kind of exist between the situation where you've got someone who allows the inmates to run the asylum and then the very definition of, of the kind of the German taskmaster comes in who will not compromise on any of his beliefs ever. And so who is it that, even if it was on a, on a permanent basis, so you say Antonio Conte comes into the club, Antonio Conte is no less demanding than Ralph Ranić, and would know mm. would kind of challenge the egos in the same way. Wouldn't it get the same reaction? Like, I don't, I don't see the. I get the the, the temporary point, and I, I completely agree with it. I just think, who is the? It's a very Goldilocks situation now. But um, but do you, when you get when you get a, a situation where the, there are there's obviously briefing going on from various sources, you have talk of cliques. One centered around Donny van der Beek, who, you know, in my view, hasn't been given a chance there. Does all this point up to the fact, Aid, and you alluded to it earlier, that far-reaching decisions about personnel, I'm thinking Pogba, Lingard, people like that, they they need to be made as a matter of urgency, don't they? Yeah, they do. They do. And and I would imagine that a number of these players will will leave the building either now or or in the summer. They need an overhaul, don't they? We all know what, what, where they should have strengthened, certainly central midfield, certainly at right back. But 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 they are where they are. It's uh, it's an attitude thing, isn't it? I, I just feel that if a Conte had come in and he's the permanent manager, you've got no choice but to knuckle down, otherwise you're out. And, and no one wants to put their career on hold. I, d- I just feel that that with the temporary manager, there, there can be that situation that develops well, it doesn't really matter because this guy's not ultimately going to be here that, that long. I, I, you know, I'll impre- I'm just not having him. Even though people were, players were potentially briefing against Solskjaer saying they weren't happy, the, the overriding feeling was that they did like Solskjaer, they love Solskjaer, they love McKenna, they like Carrick. They were like a, uh, mates, weren't they? It, it, that was the kind of environment it was. And then you've got the opposite. You've got the strict taskmaster who's coming in these very different ideas, and some of these these big egos, these senior players, are like, oh, I don't know if I fancy this. I'm not, not sure I'm having him. And once one or two say that, it can spread like wildfire. I feel sorry for Ranić, I really do. But he's got to just knuckle down and be strong and not let the dressing room take over. Otherwise, this this season could really run away from Manchester United in quite an embarrassing way. He's he's got to he's got to stick to his beliefs and 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 get get the players. On side, uh, and if that means banishing a few of them to you know to the sidelines, so be it. Yeah. What about the advantages of strong leadership, Seb? And are we seeing those in action at Chelsea with Thomas Tuchel, whose authority seems to have been reinforced by his handling of the uh, Lukaku fallout? Yeah, dangerous little game that one, isn't it? Because uh, <laughs> especially for a Chelsea manager, because if you look, it's back a ninety-seven point five million pound game. It sure is, and if you if you if you look at kind of how Chelsea managers of the past have fared whenever they take on high-profile players, then tends not to go well. But then Thomas Tuchel's stock is very very high. Um, he again, he's no shrinking violet either. He doesn't mind uh, fighting his own corner. I don't get the sense. I mean, I maybe I'm missing something. I don't get the sense that there was ever quite as much acrimony as was presented in this situation. It seems like Kaku acknowledged, you know, the situation he created. Also, one of one of the things about that is it was um, Romelu Lukaku is an incredibly smart person. He speaks sort of a dozen languages. He is a very very intelligent man who probably wouldn't have 
it was kind of presented as a moment of naivety, wasn't Maybe it? Maybe lacks common sense, though. No, but I, I don't think so. I, I think he, he's a he's a forthright guy. I think he's. Um, I think what's been shown in the past is he needs to. He seems to need to feel loved, and I understand that from. Well, I understand it on a human level. I don't obviously understand it from a professional footballer's perspective. Wherever he goes, he needs to feel affection, and fair enough. And I think he he just got trapped in um, in the act of of trying to. I suppose, cure the relationship problems that developed with the Inter Milan fans after he left the club. But Tuchel, um, I, I wonder whether over time this becomes a sort of a little bit of a, a watershed moment in Tuchel's Chelsea career, because as we've said before, it's not often that a Chelsea manager does this and uh, lives to fight another day. I always think of Andre Villas-Boas in this situation and how the moment he tried to change a little bit too much and tried to um, challenge a few of the sacred cows at Stamford Bridge, it was over. And Chelsea come out, Chelsea, you know, Chelsea gave a very, very good performance against Spurs, were far, far better. And Lukaku was on the pitch and seemed a little bit unfit, but, you know, happy enough. And, and he, he's kind of won in inverted commas. So, yeah, well done him, I guess. Mm, I, li- I must admit, I, I, I do like Tuchel's clarity and his decisiveness in, in these matters. From a player's point of view, Aid, what would the reaction in the dressing room have been to that? Well, let's face it, hostage re- video that Lukaku had to come out with when he was apologising <laughs> to all and sundry. Uh, they might have ribbed him, I, I, I guess, behind the scenes. They'd have probably made that gag themselves, you know, in terms of the, you know, where, you know, where were the hand couldn't see the handcuffs they were at. It's like <laughs> whatever, I don't know, but they would have, they would have wound him up, I'm sure. But it had to be done, didn't it? I, I, I feel that Tuchel handled it perfectly, strong and decisive decision making, but he also. Held out that olive branch straight away, so he, he asserted that authority without alienating the player long term. It needed an apology just to put that underline on it, and 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 Lukaku had no option but to agree to do it, even even if he didn't really fancy it. So so you know it was I, 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 full credit to Chelsea for their response to it. It was quick, decisive, and and pretty impactful. And, and Lukaku knows where the line is now and so does so does all so do all of the other players. I think I think the other players wouldn't have really been that interested in the interview itself. I don't think it that there were reports that the players were on side with Tuchel's decision and I think that's that's fine. But I don't think anyone would have been upset by it. It's just it's just a player trying to please his former fans. That's that's all it was in my opinion. Nothing more. I feel like the um the, the video to most people, the video was, was quite difficult to watch. I think I found mm, it a little bit. I found um, it as well, yeah. But then at the same time, like this, this is the culture now, guys. Like you, you got players apologising for missing penalties. You know, sending out little little notes on the on the um, on the notes app on their iPhones. Mm. And this is kind of there is a, there is a type of fan, and I'm not saying they represent the majority. It's more of an online type of fan, I think. And there is a a type of fan who is so sensitive that they do need this. They need the reassurance. And if you need to receive an apology after one of your players misses a penalty, then this is kind of how the clubs have to behave. And it's it's the only way, really, you can kind of quell the noise, I suppose, in in, uh, Tuchel's parlance. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to the first club not erecting not a statue outside their ground, but um, some gold-plated uh, stocks so that we can throw rotten vegetables at the at the player of the moment. Um, you know, football's a harsh world, but it does need softer skills. Aid. Mm. I thought I thought it was really significant that when Thiago Silva signed his extra year on his contract, there was a lot made by Tuchel about 
his empathetic nature, as I say, those softer skills, does that make him a more valuable player in a dressing room? Yeah, because I think you need all sorts of different characters and personality types for for a dressing room to really work and function. And you can't have 15 loud guys, 15 me, me, me people. You have to have some people that are empathetic, some people that, you know, just you need a nice cocktail. And and Tiago will have so much respect, won't he, in that dressing room for his career, but also for his performances. I think he's been incredibly consistent, Tiago Silva. They're a better team with him. With so many other players, particularly at the back out of contract, then they had to get this this done, didn't they? So, yeah, he will be potentially the main man that they that holds them together at the back next year. It'll be fascinating to see how they rebuild around him because if Rudiger goes, then that's a, that's a huge loss, isn't it, for, for Chelsea? But, but, yeah, no, I think per, personality of players makes such a such a difference and um and Tuchel's got a good one there in Thiago Silva. Mm. Do you expect Rudy to go, Seb? Yeah, actually um German press seem pretty determined that he'll um he'll be back in uh, Germany with Bayern Munich at some point. I don't know if I see that. I don't know whether I <clears throat> see the kind of the um the There's a lot of noise about Real Madrid, doesn't there? Yeah, I think that's the more likely, to be honest with you, because Real Madrid need another player, need an experienced player, a proper centre-half, an orthodox centre-half in that role. And Rudiger fits the bill also because of the, the lack of a transfer fee. That would, be, um, that would be very easy for them to do. Fits the kind of the pattern of their recruitment recently. It'll be a big miss. I think Rudiger's a fantastic footballer, like not just a good defender. There's a kind of talismanic quality to him. He carries the ball out. He's a good ball striker. Uh, he's got everything. He's a threat from set pieces. Goes down a bit easily sometimes, let's be honest. Um, but a terrific player. And um, yeah, he would. Uh, there are very, very few top clubs for whom he wouldn't start. Yeah. I'll let Seb wallow in his personal misery for, for a couple of more minutes. I just want a dwell on that League Cup semi final. Uh, by the way, having two legs is a nonsense, isn't it? That uh, defeat by uh, Spurs defeat at Stamford Bridge on Wednesday night was a complete reality check, wasn't it? It was, yeah. There was there was a big difference between the two sides. That is for sure. Spurs, Spurs were woeful on the night, and considering the apparent desire to end the trophy drought and you know with Conte in charge, that you know this, this leader, this winner, it was a surprising performance, wasn't it? Because you expected them to come out flying with with unbelievable energy and purpose, and it was the exact opposite. It was it was a really timid semi-final display blown away in that first half by by Chelsea who aren't the best pressers in the division that's not really what they're they're noted for they can do it very well of course but yeah just with a bit of gentle pressing those those Tottenham defenders were, were all at sea weren't they it was it was a real mess I think that Conte did the right thing at half time to change the system but by then the damage the damage was done yeah it was um it was an enlightening 90 minutes, I would, I would imagine, for Antonio Conte. We talk about a, a possible Manchester United clear-out. He, he will have his eyes on, on, on several exits, I'm sure. He will be plotting, I don't know, I think up to eight, eight to ten players could leave this summer and, um, and he, will, he will rebuild big time. Mm. He's already talking about being at least a year away from what he wants. Seb, did, did that performance 
come as any real surprise to you? Not really. For a couple of reasons. Firstly, because one of the, the worst habits Tottenham have as a club is when a game matters and when it's away from home, if you go back and look at the amount of cheap mistakes and goals given away in the first five, ten minutes in these games, it's amazing. And I, I don't mean that in a kind of ranty fan way. I'm a Tottenham supporter. Just generally, it's, it's remarkable because you'd think in that kind of situation, what's the last thing a manager says to you? It might be a bit old school, but probably give nothing away for 10 minutes, 20 minutes. Don't make it easy. Don't let the crowd get up. And then within, I think it was within three minutes, terrible mistake, goal, one down. Everyone feels bad about it. I think the bigger thing, and this this speaks to what AIDS just said, is if you look at the reaction to going a goal down and then two down, it's very noticeable who had kind of any determination to try and right those wrongs, who played with any conviction and who just shrunk away and had a little bit of a sulk. I think that's where I'd start with the um, the clear out. There are some players at Tottenham who just aren't good enough. No disrespect, but some players who should just never have been at that level in the first place don't deserve to be at a club of that size or don't don't belong in a club who have the ambitions that Tottenham do. Let's put it that way. That's the, that's the fairer assessment. But the difficulty is when you do that as a club, when you recruit in a way which elevates players beyond their potential or beyond their ability, it's kind of very, very difficult to shift them. So we can talk about, you know, you need to get rid of 10 of them. Well, a couple of them are on, on wages that they just won't get anywhere else. And also there are there are none of these there are, there are very few Tottenham players at the moment who've arrived at their club and who have improved their reputations. I don't think there's a much of a you know a buyer's market for some of them. So it's a really difficult one, but Conte has two challenges really, and um, there's no point in beating around the bush around this. He has to get the most out of what, what's there, but he also has to change the habits of the club in terms of how they recruit. Because Conte is not going to be there for 10 years. He's not going to be there for five. If he's there for two, two and a half, that's probably the most you're going to get out of him before uh, what tends to happen with him happens. So you need to make sure that the people who make these decisions, write the checks, that's Paratici, that's Daniel Levy, understand the need to improve and not do it on the cheap. You know, not just, you know, do what we can, you know, buy a player that looks like that good player, but £10 million cheaper, because that is what Tottenham have done a lot of, and that's what's led them into this situation. And yeah, there's an awful lot to clear up, I'm afraid. I think a little bit of context to that performance, because Chelsea had next, uh, Spurs had an extra day's rest. Chelsea without N'Golo Conte is most important, you know, I would argue their most important player. Spurs were without Eric Dyer, and that left them with a, a backline who... No one can pass in that back line. No one can play a forward pass. There was no exits available. But there were very few excuses for it. They weren't competitive. And actually, they were, at half time, if you said the game could end now at 2-0, you take it. I thought it was a complete let-off. It should have been 5-0. Okay, the tie should be absolutely over already. They were that bad. There's a little bit of, of light there at the end of that tunnel, but there's a huge amount to do. And no one should be kidding themselves about that. Mm. Not a talk that Conte wants to upgrade the wing backs, and I suppose that you know, there's the there's the, there's the moral of the story with Emerson Royale. It, I know this is, might be unfair because he's never played the the right wing back position, but just don't buy Barcelona offcuts, do you? In that in that context, aid if you put yourself in in Conte's shoes, we're already told that Matt Doherty can leave, open to offers for Bergwijn, uh, Dali Ali can move on probably on loan. And Dombele, a record signing, has done absolutely zero. How many players, or can you name the players that you would sh- move on quick? Well, the, 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 those are at the top of the list. I, I don't think Tanganga's good enough. Damison Sanchez, I, I, I never rated him. I know that he's had some, some good 
theories for Spurs, but yeah, I never bought into the the hype around Davinson Sanchez. I think it's defensive players, but but the key the key missing ingredient in this team, and and Seb touched on it, is having players that can make good forward passes. It's the glaring omission in the in the team. You've got Kane and Son, two of the most destructive frontmen in the Premier League. Yet the platform behind them that d- d- doesn't get the best out of them unless it's a rapid counter attack where you catch teams off guard. In t- in general play, they find it really really hard to 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 bring the best out of those two. They need players that are brave, talented, technically excellent to feed passes early forward passes into Son, into Kane, into Lucas Moura, who I think, although very streaky, has a lot of potential and and, and can be a... He's improved dramatically, actually. Yeah, he can be a really destructive player, can't he, Lucas Moura? I I wouldn't be looking to to move him on. I I think it's it's in central midfield where you need that, that, that type of player that I've discussed. And basically an entire new back five. <laughs> um, and, and you know, who knows what's going to happen with Hugo Lloris moving forwards as well. So, um, yeah, I, th- I think the basis of the, of the rebuild will start at back. Can I, can I, can I jump in there? Because I, I um, my loyalty to Davinson Sanchez won't allow me to <laughs> let that go unchallenged. Sanchez can be a good player. Sanchez needs to play with the right people. When you give him too much responsibility, when you make the, it's going to sound like a stupid thing, but when you make the defensive line too defensive, I mean, as in you take all the proactive elements out, you expose him to a bit too much pressure, then he can suffer. If you play him, I mean... <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that prerequisite for a centre-half? Well, though, being able in to a way, that. but like if you, like when you, periodically, Mauricio Pochettino would play him in a, a back three with Toby Alderweireld and Jan Vertonghen. And you had players there that were kind of, that were responsible for the more cultured aspects of the game. Aldevar, like people always think Davin Sanchez is a quick player and he's not, he doesn't have enough pace. If you allow him just to be a kind of fairly bread and butter defender, he can be very, very effective, but he just doesn't have the right partner. And Romero has come in. Romero is a very good player, but hasn't been fit. He is a more in that sort of direction. I think Reguillon is actually a pretty good player. I think Ryan Sessegnon will, will contest for that position with him. So I don't think they need a, a new back five. They need a, at least a new centre-half and definitely, definitely, definitely need right-sided wing-back. And the, the problem is, is like we, we talked about, Mike mentioned on Dembele. On Dembele is on around £200,000 a week. So I'm not sure where he's going. I... Mm. I I think he's quite an interesting Newcastle. player. Newcastle. Well, well, mate, but, but really, like you, you can find better options. And I, no, no, the problem no. there is that um, he doesn't have the trust of his manager. I think Ndombele is quite interesting. I think he needs... I, I don't know what the root of his personal issues have been in England. He's seemingly wanted to leave in every window since he got here. I don't pretend to understand that situation. Lothelsa was another one. Potentially a very good player. Never fit never seems to get a sort of a run of games and you just can't be relied upon, sadly. I think there's a player there. but So you've got these players, but they, 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 they don't have much resale value. So you, don't, you can't necessarily realise that, um, that value and reinvest it. It's a very, very difficult situation. Mm. But the, you know, the reality also is that there's, a, you know, there's, there's a, an open opportunity out there. You think about it, fourth place is up for grabs. The FA Cup, which begins obviously this weekend and will be deprioritised by the leading clubs, at least, you know, there is a domestic trophy there. Which is which of the clubs are going to take that opportunity? 
you know, I'll 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 serve you up a nice little open goal here. Uh, what about Arsenal? Oh yeah, I mean, <clears throat> they're, they're a decent cup team. They're fast improving. Got a good chance in the League Cup. I would have thought Liverpool, when that when that tie gets played, they might not be at full strength anyway. And Jurgen Klopp's never prioritised the League Cup, has he? So there's a really good opportunity to get to the final. And Arsenal have beaten Chelsea in finals, if it is to be Chelsea, that, that make it there. So that's a good opportunity. Arsenal... Love the FA Cup, we know. So, so yeah, that is that is a good, good avenue. Mikel Arteta certainly takes those those competitions seriously, and because the basis of of Arsenal's first team right now is young, it, it they have that hunger, and maybe some of that hunger that the United we've just been talking about United and Spurs. You do see a slight lack of hunger, don't you, in 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 those teams in the in some of the matches that really matter against the big teams with Arsenal. It, that's not an issue now, and I think what we saw in the Man City game was was also a belief surging into the group that they are now ready to to mix it with anyone that they will go toe to toe with a City, with a Liverpool, with a Chelsea, unlike earlier on in the season. So yeah, it's, there's a lot of reasons to be quite optimistic about about Arsenal at the moment, and it is all being driven by the the age bracket of the players and, and you know the the three attacking midfielders are all young at the back you've got young guys as well it's it's um yeah it's it's quite exciting they're not the finished article long way to go but but they're capable of winning a cup for sure don't want to dwell on it too long because it is a bit of a tribally induced storm in a teacup the postponement said do you understand the principles behind it of that of that league cup semi final but does it also point up the fact that, you know, we're, we're getting these piecemeal postponements due to COVID. There's a complete lack of transparency and consistency, it seems, in the decision-making process. Yeah, or complete lack of consideration for the fans. Yeah, um, that's true. I think if you look at some of the postponements that occurred over the Christmas period and when they were timed, I'd like to see an accountancy of, of how many people, you know, spent money that they'll never get back on train mm-hmm. tickets, on match tickets they'll get back, I'm sure. But on food and like, what? Well, what if um, remember that Burnley Villa game that was cancelled? Like, what if a dad and his kids took a you know a train down to the Midlands from Burnley? That's a long way and it's an expensive journey. And what the Premier League gave them two hours notice. I remember one of my colleagues at the Athletic, Adam Leventhal, travelling up to do um, Watford's game at, at Turf Moor, and that being cancelled when he got to the car park. Like he drove up, you know. <laughs> I'm sure Adam <laughs> won't mind me mentioning that. But yeah, this is this is what happens. I, I don't like the conspiracy theories. It bores me. It's a aspect of one fandom which I find incredibly tedious. But it happens because there isn't enough clarity over why this, over what constitutes over um, a postponement or what's happening behind the scenes with the club. It's difficult. I understand that. I'm not you know trying to diminish the complexity of this. At the same time, the Premier League's habit on anything is to be incredibly quiet and. It was with the Newcastle takeover, obviously, different situation. It was with this. I remember um, when we were recording this podcast through the first lockdown and we were we were discussing the Premier League's comeback plan and the amount of leaks that came out on a daily basis. I mean, if you guys remember, that was incredible. And it's mm. all because they don't communicate properly. They don't feel the need to or... Um, I'm not sure why that habit exists, but this is the result of it. You have people, mm. I know in this instance, it's the Football League. I understand that because it's their competition. But 
Van's kind of paranoia and conspiracy will go where it's allowed to go unless it's kind of herded away. And this is the consequence. Yeah, I completely agree with Seb on that. Yeah, I feel sorry for the fans. I mean, the Burnley, Arsenal Burnley game has been moved to the Sunday. People have made plans. You know, people have booked hotels. They've booked flights. You know, Arsenal is a is a club where, where people fly in to come and watch them. It's a real special treat. You know, you can laugh about the tourist is it? nature. Is it? Be, well, sometimes <laughs> yeah. it can be. Yeah, sometimes it can be. But it's a very expensive treat, isn't it, for someone that... You you know, might have come in from a different continent to to come and watch watch the Gunners. It happens, um, and and those people might might have been stitched up by this. You, know, you do wonder could that League Cup tie have been moved to the Wednesday and the, and they kept the kept the game on on the Saturday. But yeah, now with, with Seb on the fans and with him on the lack of transparency, just put it out there. Why do we have to be secretive about how many people have got COVID and who's got it? I don't. I don't we have injury lists. What, what what is the big deal about about being open and transparent with this? Like it, I also feel really though, doesn't what, it? Because like this is this is this is sorry to butt in. It's just it, it makes me think of. I know we're, we're we're a BT podcast, but it makes me think of TV scheduling too. It makes me think of right. Well, if you're playing Team X from the North against Team South, don't put it on at four o'clock on a Sunday because the thing that provides the product with the value. Well, they're people and they're people with bank accounts and you have to make travel plans and sometimes have to take time off work and just think about it a little bit more. And it feels like the, the sort of the attitude towards these postponements is just an extension of that. The fans are like, um, they're treated a lot like sort of, you know, like the sort of the digital crowds in computer games like that. They'll just turn up. It'd be fine. They're not real people anyway. And it's that's this is a really unhealthy attitude that's been allowed to perpetuate. Yeah, yeah. No, I do agree. Just very quickly on, on the COVID um, situation, I... I don't like the parameters. I really don't like the parameters. Matches have never been called off because of injury crisis. This just never happened. If you've got an injury crisis, you've got an injury crisis, you deal with it. I think the parameters should be a percentage of the players that have played in the first team this season have COVID. And if you meet that percentage, be it 25%, 30%, 35%, then the game's called off. When you When you put in injuries into the mix... It, it, it puts shade on it. No one can test an injury. You can, you can list seven players, if you wanted, that are fit and healthy, that could absolutely play. But if you say they're injured, they're injured on that list. And, it, and, and that's why people are getting so annoyed by this, because it feels as if there have been too many convenient postponements, not just in the Premier League, but across the, the EFL as well. Yeah, it does seem that quite a few clubs have, um, let's say, gamed the system. I suppose back to football, Leicester, the holders of the FA Cup, lest we forget, they're at home to Watford on Saturday. There's a bit of an irony here, isn't there, Seb? Claudio Ranieri is almost under immediate pressure at Watford. Six points from 11 Premier League games, six defeats on the bounce. It would be ironic if Leicester did for him, wouldn't it? It would be, and I think it'd be terribly unfair. I um, I know Watford Watford's form isn't good, but I do think Ranieri has improved them. I just think Watford aren't good enough. I mean, sometimes it is just that simple. Like, I, I think they lack a proper central midfielder. Never replaced a Corey, haven't replaced Will Hughes. I quite like Dennis the forward. I think he's been a good signing. I quite, I've always liked Josh King as a player. Great attacking, a great counter-attacking asset. Not good enough at centre-half. I don't think they're quite good enough at right-back either. So it feels as if... You can get rid of him if you want, and Watford's tendency is probably to do just that. But I think you have to give him the right tools. I know the the, the most recent game of theirs that I watched was their defeat to Spurs on 
it was on Boxing Day, and they lost, but they were actually... I mean, they played very, very well. They were definitely worth a point. They created a, a good couple of counter-attacking opportunities, might have had a penalty. I think Ranieri, I, I, I'm not pretending to have seen every Watford game of his reign. I've probably seen two or three, but they are better than they were. And like a chef, like you can only cook with the, the ingredients that you have. And, you know, this is this is supposed to be Watford's selling point. You know, um, I've read, and in a, in, a, in a couple of your books, Mike, you know, I've read about, you know, uh, how clever the scouting is and um, how good the talent ID is and, you know, how big the network is. Okay, I'll prove it. Because this is when you need those things, you know, when it's difficult, when you've got a manager, a veteran manager, who's done amazing things in this division. He's had disappointing moments too, but he's shown himself capable of building things with lesser parts. Can give him something to, to work with. Don't get silly. Don't go and march an army of 10 players into the club. But you've got to give yourself a chance and you, you just, you, you have to be good enough technically and that's the starting point and they're not and so I think they could survive because it's not a strong league particularly at the bottom there's some very poor teams down there Newcastle bit of a strange case obviously but yeah they can survive they just need to know what they are and not look at the manager solely Mm. you know speaking of Newcastle they're just about or they're just starting their super supermarket trolley dash for new players aren't they you know Kieran Trippier in the building you know the definition is shifting these days aid but the potential shocks in the third round of the FA Cup. How about Cambridge at Newcastle? Why not? Yeah, it wouldn't be easy for Cambridge, but Cambridge have, have a bit of a history of, of pulling off some good results in this cup competition. I remember they got to the quarters many years ago and, and, and ended up playing Arsenal at, at Highbury. Yeah, they're an awkward side, um, young side that will go there sort of with a fearless nature and... Yeah, if Newcastle aren't at it, if they play a weak inside, anything is possible. And Eddie Eddie Howe's record in cup competitions when he was at Bournemouth was abysmal. Absolutely <laughs> rotten. He didn't ever really, to my memory, pick his first choice 11. He, he was one of these that would always go with 11 changes or 8, 9, 10, 11 and and they were victim of of a few giant killings, if memory serves me right. So, so yeah, you could be onto something here. It, w- it wouldn't be the shock of the century to me, not least given the priority has to be staying in the league, and, and that they've got a few injuries at the moment. He, he might wrap a few of the other key men in in cotton wool. So yeah, that's a that's a potential. Mm. What about Hull pushing Rafa Benitez over the edge at Everton? <laughs> That's actually a pretty similar situation to Ranieri at uh, Watford, though. Like, I, who's coming in to to do a better job? I understand the frustrations of Benitez, and I understand it to be a uniquely antagonistic situation because of his Liverpool past. But it's again sacking the manager there is just a way of excusing some of the things that have happened above him. Recruitment's been dreadful at Everton. Can't ex- you can't express just how bad it's been and how much money has been wasted and how poor some of the talent ideas being there. And could Benitez have done a little bit better? Could he have played a more pleasing, um, less antagonistic style? So probably, yeah. But who's coming in to do a better job? So, yeah, I, I think you're right, Mike. I, I'll get a result there and that might be it. That might be just one disappointment too many. But I don't know what with, you know, what, what's the kind of the logical next step? And that feels at Everton like it's indicative of, of the last few years. It's always been very reactive. Not enough planning, not enough thinking, not about, not enough kind of two, three years down the line sort of thinking. Um, so, yeah. yeah. I'm yeah. at that game. Yeah, doing it for radio. So it'd be, it'd be interesting. Yeah, Hull, 
Hull have got one or two individuals that that are, that are very dangerous. Keen Lewis Potter, be fascinating to see how whether he can shine for Hull City, who I think will be buoyed by this takeover action going on at Hull, which will, will will lift the mood, I'm sure. There, so yeah, this is this this one looks ripe, doesn't it, for a potential upset? One thing, one mitigating circumstance we you can't ignore is with Benitez is is that he hasn't had Calvert Lewin available. He he's he's a he's a colossal figure within that side, and the only proper centre forward they've got. I mean, Rondon has been a, a major disappointment. Yeah, he? but yeah. he's better than he's been. Like he's been a good player, but he he's looked he's looked. Just nothing, has he, in recent weeks? And, and yeah, Dominic Calvert-Lewin is is the real deal. Yeah, he's lost Townsend, of course, in recent times as well. So Two yeah, backs though now. So you know. yeah, exactly. And Anthony Gordon, a bit of a bonus for them, you know, coming yeah. coming through and, and scoring goals and stuff. So so yeah, I, I agree. Rafa Benitez is is a top manager, and yeah, it's it's the wider issue at Everton that needs fixing. Mm, it looks like you know, they've. they've Bought a good one in Nathan Patterson. You know the common consent from from Scotland certainly is that you know he's a very promising signing. One of those ones that you pick up for twelve million and sell for 30, 30 million in about eighteen months. I would suggest Seb that anyone who thinks that the FA Cup doesn't matter should toddle down to the uh, the new den if they can get a ticket, which I don't think they can because I think it's a sellout. Crystal Palace at Millwall. That's unlikely to be one for the faint-hearted, isn't it? Yeah, I wouldn't have thought so. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, also, I, I think that's a shock, potentially. Um, Palace have been gutted by the Africa Cup of Nations. They've lost Zahar, they've lost Jordan Ayew, they've lost Cheikh Coyote. They really have suffered. And I haven't been paying attention. I can't get much championship football in, in Germany, so I haven't been watching Millwall. But Palace will be well down as a result of those absences. So, you know, and that's not exactly a hospitable environment to go to to get results. So, yeah. Do you ever play at Millwall, Aid? I did, yeah, yeah, a couple of yeah, two or three times. Um, yeah, it was never when it was sold out. I have to say, but even when it wasn't sold out, it was uh, it was intimidating as a as a visiting player. You were certain, you know, especially as a winger. Actually, when you when you're right next to the the, the punters and and they're giving you a bit of flack. Yeah, it's. Um, no, it's not easy to to go there, and they've got that that DNA. Well, you know it, Mike. You, mm. you know you followed the club closely. They've got that DNA, haven't they? And and they've got at the moment they've got themselves a good front two. They 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 they're playing with a back three, uh, so, yeah, and, and two up front. A Fobe, Benica Fobe, and, and and Bradshaw. Bradshaw's been in the goals, and and yeah, they they've they've looked a more potent attacking force in in recent weeks. So. Um, but they retain all those ingredients that you associate with Millwall. Incredibly hard-working team under under Gary Rowett. And, yeah, this will be full-blooded with a capital F and B. So, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, Palace, if, Palace need to be up for it. If they're not, they'll go down. But look, Patrick Vieira, in fairness to him, he knows about the FA Cup. He knows about these kind of tests. So it won't be a shock to him. Yeah. What about any other shocks? You think you know, you look at Norwich losing at Charlton, and you and you wonder whether that actually would be a shock anywhere else. Seb, do you think? Uh, no, I'm aimed at German football this weekend, Mike. So I'm mm. I'm 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 deep in my um, Leipzig <laughs> Mainz research. So I, I'm afraid it's funny we don't um, we don't like um, 
broadcasting in Germany, you get the odd FA Cup game. It's not as kind of wall to wall as it is in England. And the same with the Championship. Anything outside some of the, um, anything outside the Premier League or the Champions League, you tend to be kind of potluck with what you get. So, um, yeah, yeah um, Bundesliga, I'm afraid. Yeah, we'll talk yeah. about that if you like, and I can, you know. But... I'll chat one in. Go on, I'll chat one in. Huddersfield at Burnley. Sean Dyche has tested positive, hasn't he? So he's he's going to miss that game, which isn't ideal, we, we know, but it's not the, the beer and end Surely Ian yeah, Wone has to miss think, that game as well as a yeah. result of that, because they live together, don't they, Wone and, and Dyche? Yeah, they do. They have a flat. They they spend <laughs> yeah. uh, all week living together. Yeah, do. yeah, of course they do. So yeah, not ideal prep. But even if they were there, I would still have a have a little fancy for Huddersfield again. Burnley priority has to be the Premier League. They they they're, they're playing really poorly at the moment, uh, relying on on Cornet's magic, and he's not around at the moment. And Huddersfield are one of the form teams in the Championship. Actually, surprise cha- uh, playoff contenders under Carlos Corbran, Bielsa's former assistant. And, and they've they've got really good wing-backs that, that, that supply ammunition for the strikers. They they get the ball wide and they and, and they put a lot of quality into the box. Good at set pieces as well. So, so yeah, I think, yeah, if you're looking for a potential shock, that might be one. Uh, Rotherham at QPR, it wouldn't create that many headlines, but Rotherham, no one wants to play Rotherham at the moment they're a very strong powerful team in, in League One and QPR have been decimated as well by AFCON and, and whatnot. so there's a couple of ideas hmm. What about non-league aid? We've got I think it's four representatives Yeovil are at home to Bournemouth you know probably yet another former football league club returning to its natural level uh, which is sort of midway in the National League you've got Kidderminster a fifth in the National League North home to Reading Chesterfield are top of the National League with only one defeat. You know, they'll probably pick up a check at least at, uh, at Chelsea. <laughs> um, what about Boreham Wood? Now, they're, they're well-placed to make the fourth round, it seems to me, at the expense of AFC Wimbledon. Do you agree? Yeah, they'll be competitive, I'm sure of that. It's it's a good club, Boreham Wood, and they've done ever so well from where they were over the last few years to really establish themselves in the in the National League. Yeah, it's a good ground. It's a good pitch, which which doesn't always help them in these kind of scenarios. But but yeah, AFC Wimbledon. It, it, it's one of those games. I mean, this is a game that a few years ago would have been well down the pyramid. Bournemouth v AFC Wimbledon would have been a Ryman League game. You know, not that long, not that long ago. So incredible, really. What I'll say about AFC Wimbledon is that I like what they're doing. They've got their limitations clearly financially, but they've got a smart young manager that's getting, you know, he's using every sort of ounce of, of what he's got available to him to to take the club forward. He's invested in a lot of real quality young loan players from, from Premier League teams that you know, weren't on other sides' radars. He's got some good players as well, good forwards. Asal is a player to watch out for at Wimbledon. So they were, I regard them as like a fearless League One team that aren't good enough to get promoted, but they are good enough to give anyone a game because they're they're quite exciting and they'll just go for it. They're not the Wimbledon of old that that, that are a bit stodgy and, and play for set pieces. They're, they're, they're a different type of side now. So um, I think it'll be a good match. And yeah, you've got to give yeah, Borenwood a shot at it. Yeah. You know, obviously, you're viewing this from a distance, Seb, but certainly over here, non-league gates are booming this season. Can you understand why? 
Yeah, well, I think there's kind of a, it's not so subtle reason why. I think during the pandemic, when the pandemic hit, I think there was a lot of rhetoric about nothing about the fans, fans matter, fans matter, you know, coming back, coming back. And throughout the course of it, football showed, football didn't show its best face. I mean, we covered some of these issues at the time. We covered pay-per-view initiatives, you know, people losing their jobs and Premier League clubs wanting 15 quid a game for, you know, for TV matches. I think some of the ways the very prominent clubs behaved was particularly unappealing. And then at the beginning of last year, we had Super League. From a PR perspective, it's been very ugly. And I exclude some of the players from that because some of the kind of um, football's heroes, in inverted commas, from this have been players and have been players um, acting on their own back. And I can completely understand why people are being driven back towards something a bit more earthy, something a bit more real, something with a little less self-regard. I think, I hope, I, I hope I've characterized that right, but I understand it and it would certainly appeal to me in the same situation, yeah. You as well, Aid? Yeah, I completely agree with Seb on, on all of that. I also feel <clears throat> there are two other reasons. One, the pandemic, it, 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 made, it reconnected people with their local communities in a really powerful way because where else we didn't have anywhere else to go did we i know for, from my own standpoint I, you know i was never here where i am in the in, in leicestershire i was never here i was always here there and everywhere and then i had to spend a year here got to know the place you know the village that i live in the town that neighbors it and you feel you know more affection for it and i think that, that a lot of people will have will have had that and and also the standard of football in non-league is is probably better now than, than it's ever been. A lot of clubs that have fallen out of the EFL have started again, and they've they've built themselves up the right way, and and, and they're paying some good money. I mean, Wrexham, we know about Chesterfield as well, and a number of teams that that, that have got very good players, and, and so the standard that that these fans are are watching is good as well. So yeah, for all of this put together, and I think Seb's reasons are the strongest. That's why the gates are booming, and it's it's brilliant to see, absolutely fantastic. Because some of the gates that that you get in the national league this season, and, and BT Sport cover it really well, of course, it, it, eight nine thousand. I think Notts County had twelve thousand. You take it back to the early nineties or the late eighties, Notts County in the higher levels weren't getting that. You know, they were getting less than that. So it, it's it's remarkable, but it's an overwhelming positive, and it's what makes. It's part of what makes the English pyramid so special. And how many times have us three, particularly during that lockdown, talked about the need to protect the pyramid? And, and that's probably another reason, isn't it? There's, a, there's that, that feeling that, that even though a lot of good money did filter down, not enough. There was a lot of look after number one at first, you know, charity begins at home. And, and I, I also feel that those non-league clubs or lower league clubs that were on the brink have been really heavily supported by their communities because of what happened there. And um, and well done to all involved for, for going along and, and paying the money. I wonder if also like one of the reasons is that people feel a bit safer because if you can, um, if you live, you know, within a mile or two of your local ground, you can walk there. And I wonder whether for, you know, for people that are used to, you know, traveling home and away, <clears throat> but even for home games, have to take a train, have to take a tube, have to take a bus, like, you know, people are, you know, worried and scared and a little bit reticent around those things. And, um, you know, to it doesn't take much, does it? Like I, I 
one of the things I've noticed since I moved to Germany is the um, the amount of green spaces and the kind of the the prevalence of sports clubs, <clears throat> and, and you kind of once you, you you can be so easily charmed by it, like you 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 know you're on a wall, you come across you know uh, like you know astroturf or a, you know a football pitch, and in England that was kind of completely alien to me. You just didn't you, you know it'd have been a block of flats or a car park, but it's once you go and once you have that kind of little bit of community that you can connect to, especially now, it's it's very very seductive. There's a common theme here. Uh, earlier this week, browsing on social media. I came across a live YouTube stream of the game between Berry AFC and Daisy Hill in the Northwest Counties League. The pitch wasn't the best. The ground itself was pretty basic. The football owed more to Ecky Thump than Tiki Taka. Yet I was completely hooked. Berry won 2-0, much to the delight of their 900 travelling fans in a capacity crowd. There was a sense of community, a clear link between players and supporters. It was raw, but authentic. No wonder more fans are seeking out non-league football. Are you tempted to take a look? Please let me know if you are. In the meantime, thanks to Seb and Adrian for their insight, and thank you for listening to the Football Writers Podcast. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.